In episode 10 of the Supercharged Podcast, we sit down with the ever-magnetic, vibrant, and full of life, Lucas Simmons, to discuss our diet-driven society and take a closer look at what may be truly adding value and what may be potentially stripping our bodies from the important building blocks and nourishment that it needs for optimal health. Luca is a pillar within the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, a holistic nutritional consultant, committed teacher, devoted mother, wife, and is hands down one of the most passionate and knowledgeable food leaders we have ever had the pleasure of knowing. You will find Luca's approach to healing through food simple and straightforward, all the while celebrating and honoring the biochemical uniqueness we each possess. Her toolkit for healing with foods includes the acknowledgement of the time-honored traditions like eating your good fats, yes fats, filling your plate with rainbows of color to support your best friend, your liver, mandates that we follow our food supply chain closely, do you know where your food comes from, and perhaps most importantly, paying honor and respect to the meals that both our direct ancestors and those from the land that we are living on have made. In following such a simple recipe for holistic wellness, we begin to witness drastic changes for the better in the amounts of inflammation we find running rampant in our bodies, our disorderly mood swings, acne, constipation, migraines, sensitivities, the list goes on. While our conversation feels all too short and the need for so many of us to heal is vast, we encourage you to explore Luca's site and her Vitality series, which touches on topics from your brain, heart, and thyroid to even histamines. It was truly our pleasure to speak with Luca of her story, her inspiration, and ongoing commitment to supporting all of us in welcoming a healthier body, mind, and spirit, which we all have the capacity to achieve, if we so choose. Luca, we are so happy to have you join us. We're laughing now because this has been a start stop for the first 30 seconds because we're so excited. (laughs) Um, Me too. But we have so many things to talk to you about. Like we could actually be here for three hours, but we're hoping we can do this in a, in less than an hour segment. But why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your journey, how you got here? How did you become this expert in the holistic health world and and about your family and your passions, and and then we'll go from there. Sounds good. So, I am, uh, I have led 18 lives. We were just talking about this before we hit record. I've led about 18 lives, and I started off uh, in university, actually in genetics, and then thought that I would end up with a nutrition degree as a dietitian, but it was really difficult at that time to get um, a spot to become a dietitian, like to get one of the, what do they call it? stage. I'm so French, I can't translate fast enough. Just say it in French. <laughs> stage, uh, where you do like an internship, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So to do the internship, there were only four positions across Canada, and I didn't have the highest oh. marks, and I thought, oh, okay, well, that's not going to work. Um, and I had about three years of my science degree behind me, and I thought, that's it. I also have this artistic streak. I'm going to finish in theater. So I finished a BA <laughs> in theater, as one does. <laughs> and uh, worked in the theater, actually, and got into the technical side of theater, and I was doing a lot of engineering, sound engineering stuff. And then I moved into TV at some point and worked behind the scenes and then started doing props and what have you on cooking shows, funny enough, um, and doing some of the food styling stuff that was really fun. I super loved that job. And then when I got married and we moved out west, I had done radio when I was in university, like the campus radio stuff. So when we moved out west there uh, from Ontario to Alberta, then um, there was a job posting for an overnight radio announcer at a province-wide radio station. And so I applied, got the job, and that was great for a good eight, ten years or so. But in the downturn of economy in Alberta, mm-hmm. when there's a slump in the economy, then the arts start to lag behind and there starts to be a little bit less money. And 
So I was struggling for work there for a bit. Um, there were some financial decisions that include, anyway, it meant that I lost my job, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was doing podcasts and I was putting together music festivals and that was so great. But then I thought, this is not steady work. I need something steady. And then I broke my leg, which is like this kind of weird thing that happened that prevented me from doing any more arts. And I started to get back into, my daughter at the time was um, in elementary school. She was just starting to go to grade one. And I knew that I needed a little bit more work. So I was happy for a couple of years to be part-time work and very lax mm-hmm. part-time in order to be there with Eliza because she's my favorite person. And uh, so then I started working in the kitchen at school school that she attends with the chef because my intention was to start making meals for seniors and sell meals ready-made for seniors because I remember it was actually totally inspired by my parents they make soup and they put soup in the freezer in individual containers and then they share that with neighbors Mm -hmm. when someone's sick they bring containers of soup over and I remember going to visit some elders in our circles and you know, they're opening a can of soup that is made by a company somewhere else that mm-hmm. probably is not as nutrient-dense as the soup my dad makes. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. T- totally not. <laughs> I think he's onto something. And so then I realized, ah, well, maybe I can make food for seniors and then just deliver simple meals. Mm-hmm. Started working in the kitchen with the intention of learning how to run a commercial kitchen. Mm-hmm. And three, three years later, whoops. You did it for three years. I did. It was only going to be like six months, but I did it for, I think, three years. uh, Working with a chef, and we were preparing the lunches for the kids for grades one to nine. Super fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Making butter chicken from scratch, learning how to make mayo. Like, the way that Chef Stevens, his name, Stephen would just mix the salad. He'd like bring the earth and the sky together. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, food is so much more than I thought it was. It was amazing. So then... um, while I was there, I came across somebody who was doing some um, catering, and she was using real food. Turns out she's a graduate from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, so went down that rabbit hole, signed up three days later, and took a year program Whoa. at the age of 40. I was like, all right, you know what? If I'm not going to be in the arts, if this is not going to pan out, I did start in science. I love the whole piece about food and nutrition. I come mm-hmm. from a long line of canners, preservers. I remember like two months of preserving and putting up the stuff from the garden growing up because my grandparents were next door. We had a farm when everybody else had a cottage in Northern Ontario. Mm-hmm. We had a farm so we could grow vegetables because we were four hungry kids at our house. And it was always real food. So to me, this was like, oh, this is home. This feels right. So I got into it in nutrition at first. Part of what fueled it too was my daughter at the time, when she turned six, she had uh, she had great teeth. And then at the age of six, we take her every six months, right, to the dentist. He says, oh, she's got three cavities. So then when it's more than three, they don't want to do it in-house because it's too traumatic for the child. And so they decide to send it out to a specialist. And then she, we get in to see her two months later and she's like, oh, we're up to like six. And then by the time, at that point, there's too many, they do day surgery at Children's. Mm-hmm. So we're supposed to get in in March, the following March, but we get a call mid-November. We have an opening next week. Can she come in next week? Well, of course. This was when she was six. She was six years old, six and a half. So we bring her in. And, you know, in June, I think in June or May is when we found out she had the three. So by November, she had 12 cavities. That morning going in, the dentist looked. She says, I think there's nine at this point. She comes out. She's like, no, there were 12, actually. And she has a silver tooth now. So, 
And it was so interesting to me because I was like, I'm doing all the right things. Mm. We don't have candy. She doesn't eat that much dried fruit. We eat whole foods. We're eating everything. I make things from scratch or what I thought was from scratch. You buy a bottle of sauce and I combine it with meat at home and there's the curry. Yeah. Uh, like all of these things, right? And and then I started, I, I the mom guilt that comes with raising children mm-hmm. and they're, oh, it's all encompassing and I am loathe to add to it. So anyway, so she shows up with 12 cavities. We get that looked after. And then I go back to the school where my daughter attends and one of the moms there who's a good friend, she says, oh, you know, there is this thing called Weston Price Foundation. Here's the book. And it's Nourishing Traditions, mm-hmm. Sally Fallon Morell, who's lovely. And this book is put together by the organization Weston A. Price Foundation. It's a foundation that was built on the research of a dentist called Weston Price, right. who's Canadian, by the way. And his observations and more an anthropological look at how communities their food intake, what their typical foods are, who's closest to the way that their traditional diet would have been, who has veered away from traditional is now relying on more mass processed foods and what that means in terms of teeth is where he started. Mm -hmm. Then he goes into the development of children, the mood, the symmetry of their faces, their temperament. It's really quite fascinating. So as I'm reading through this, I realize her 12 cavities is because I'm doing what I've been told because I'm a good mom. She's eating whole grains. Well, whole grains, as it turns out, if they're not properly prepared by soaking, sprouting, activating or fermenting, so like Mm -hmm. a true sourdough, if the whole grains are not properly prepared before consumption, as they would have been in traditional cultures, then that now steals from your mineral stores. Mm -hmm. Well, where do you store your minerals? In your bones and in your teeth. So if something's going on with the teeth, there's something going on deeper systemic in the body. Mm -hmm. So my kiddo with her 12 cavities in the span of six months was the wake up call of like, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to get into this. I need to understand why, why are we using canola oil in preparing lunch for the kids? This doesn't Mm -hmm. feel right. What, this is not traditionally what would have been done. And then I sat down with, there was a fellow, Michael DeLeo, who's a, he's a Waldorf teacher actually in the States, um, and he, I think he's in the administrative pieces now, but he's also a scientist and he does a lot of really interesting stuff under the radar kind of stuff. So happened to share a meal with him one night and we were talking about food and uh, food experiments and if you grow in your own area and what about the bacteria from your area? And that just sent me down a whole other path. Right. So then when I went to CSNN to get my nutrition degree, I got some of the answers, but I didn't get all of the answers. And then I realized by changing the way that we do some of our food preparation at home and with my kiddo, I started to see some improvement in my own health things, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize that were an issue. Because these things, like as most women, oh, or people, I shouldn't say just women, but you know, one thing and then another and then another, but they add up so slowly that they're incremental and you don't super feel it until you turn 42 one day, you wake up and you're like, Oh, well now I'm down to 18 foods from my 75 that I used to eat. I feel like crap still. Why am I such a miserable person? Mm -hmm. I don't think of myself as miserable. I'm making everybody miserable around me, which was Mm -hmm. my scenario. And so many of those little pieces that I realized they were starting to improve with my intention of changing how we prepared foods at home for Eliza. Mm So she is my biggest gift because in changing my approach to food and delving into holistic nutrition, 
in doing the research to support her in understanding the ways our forebears, like the people came before us, how our grandmothers prepared foods. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it that we are so unwell now? We have changed our food landscape. We've changed how our food gets to the table. We've changed how we prepare our foods. In the liberation of the woman, I put in quotation marks, very big <laughs> quotation mark, in the liberation of the woman in preparing meals so that she could be there at the workforce and shout for quality. And I'm all for quality, don't get me wrong. But in so doing, we gave the... You, you know, you eat three times a day, if not more. We have outsourced that to somebody mm-hmm. else. We're now paying the price. Mm-hmm. And so in doing this whole program of nut- holistic nutrition... I got some of the answers and then it gave me more of the science behind it so that I could go down the rabbit hole and, and understand more of the science and look for the true science. There are fads, I know we'll talk about fads, but there are certain fads that show up, mm-hmm. which I think are great, but they're little fires, right? That mm-hmm. come and then they'll disappear. Like mm-hmm. Atkins was high and then it disappeared. And now there's keto and that, will it stay, will it not? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the celery juice thing. Like there's so many little things that show up and... So I love that I have the ability now to understand some of the science behind it and to be able to make the own decisions for myself and for my kiddo and for my husband, like for the three of us, what's the best fit for us. Mm-hmm. So this whole holistic nutrition trajectory started with my kiddo, but in so doing, I now, uh, I used to struggle with a whole lot of, I have a lot of health stuff on the go, but the chronic pain issue has drastically reduced. I used to be terrified of stairs. And have to figure out every which way to not use stairs. Because my knees, we were looking at knee replacement surgery at the age of 40. I'm like, that's, I don't want that. Um, Why are your knees a mess at 40? They shouldn't be a mess at 40. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean the five, ten years of eating Mr. Noodles for dinner three times a week was probably not a good (laughs) idea? They're so delicious, though. Especially the cheese whiz. (laughs) Judge (laughs) whiz. I totally did. Because they're yum. And they're super easy. And when you're in university and it costs Mm -hmm. you 39 cents to put dinner on the table... Because you're by yourself and who cares? Yeah. It's totally awesome. But what an amazing example you've been for your daughter. to For you to care for her in her young years mm-hmm. of her, that health journey, essentially, which is very impactful. And for her, probably carries so much weight in terms of how she views dentists or how she views different doctors or hospital visits. But then how you're caring for yourself and in turn that will just carry her in mm-hmm. so many years to come. And I think last night I can attest to that too with having a mom that really takes control of her health, which yeah. is so cool. And how, like, I love your story and how many people relate to that. And I know even just personally with the whole dentistry thing, like my who was si- son who was six and now is almost eight, we went through a very similar mm. experience. And yes, I've love nutrition and herbs and all of these things for all these years but never did I make that connect to what's going on in the mouth and even as someone who views the body mind spirit as this holistic view I still wasn't looking at the mouth like that and it's set me off on down the rabbit hole of that also and (laughs) just all the things that you can get from grass-fed butter and pastured eggs and just all of these things that just up upgrade your food that's just it and it's it is an upgrade of food but I would even take it a step further because I and sometimes I struggle a little bit with the upgrade piece because that feels like it makes it for a certain group of people Mm, yeah it's not an upgrade it's return 
We're just eating real food. Mm -hmm. It's just right. real food. Right. And the power of real food. You know, you think of, I'm not anti-Western medicine. In fact, it is saving our tush right now at our house. But um, there's a, why I love nutrition so much is that's an, a, an active piece that you can control. Mm -hmm. And that can be an ally, mm -hmm. right? The kitchen is your ally, for Huge. God's sake. Yeah. Like choosing those whole foods and figuring out what's okay with you. Making room for joy, making room for, oh, well, I know I should probably eat antioxidants because they would help with this and this and this. So that's the piece that I love. It, it, I can get into some of the specifics in science of what nutrients mm -hmm. are good for which organ or right. which system or which illness you've got going on in order to best nourish the body. But the takeaway at the end of the day is eat real food keep it mm -hmm. simple just eat real food real food will save the day mm -hmm. and to be honest no one's getting out alive no. so Luca, take the pressure off yeah Luca what I love about your story is like it started with your daughter and I think now how your focus is on women in their 40s who have really kind of come to like I'm pulling my hair out I can't fix my body and I love both of us love how you can break down every organ in your and mm -hmm. your the workshops and classes you do really can gain awareness to things that you just forget like organs you forget about because there is such trend-led influence on certain things and you can get lost in that translation but what would you what kind of advice can you offer to somebody that is in that demographic or like in their mid-30s like that just do not know where to start what is like their first organ step like we talk about whole foods and there's so many different definitions people that are avoiding gluten or they're avoiding mm -hmm. dairy like what categories of whole foods those are but what would you say this is like, let's start with this in terms of healing your body? Mm. Huh. I'm 18 tabs open in my brain right now. <laughs> I can uh, tell by your face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a good question. Where do you start? Uh, you start in the kitchen. You actually start with fats. Yeah. Really to be the, the, the easiest or the biggest bang for your buck. There's a couple of things like the, the main hitters that I, because I do one-on-one -on -one with clients. So the main big hitters where I start with people is understanding that at the root of all of these aches, the pains, the discomfort, the autoimmune issues too, or the shift in hormones, or the fertility issues, or mm -hmm. the teeth, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter which age you're at. If it's something, you know, like a break of an arm is very acute. It's in the moment. You were fine five minutes ago, now you're not. Mm -hmm. It's not the same with these aches and pains and these chronic yucky stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know that it's yucky either. I shouldn't qualified as that but anyway these chronic things that take a long time to build where you don't feel great that is inflammation mm -hmm. so where you start is in reducing inflammation and food is one of your best tools actually to reduce inflammation I know you guys know this so how somebody that doesn't know what inflammation is in their body like what do those symptoms look like like pain in joints is one but is it bloating is it skin ailments like what what's it is your all definition? of the above okay so if you're human in 2019 mm -hmm. which is when we're recording this um you probably have chronic low-grade inflammation is it the end of the world no it's the way your body um is looking after keeping you alive and keeping you safe it realizes that there's something that needs to be repaired or something that is there's an insult somewhere in the body that mm -hmm. it needs to look after mm -hmm. so the body's inflammatory response is amazing but it's an inflammatory response that is based on the way that our systems used to work like 2,000 years ago. We haven't evolved quickly enough with what's happening in today's current day and age. And so the, the stressors 
the the fact that we're not living in community like we used to. You used to have like five aunties to help you look after your kids. Right. Your grandmothers were there. And yeah, you probably were still told that you were doing everything wrong, as you know, it still happens. But it was out of it was a place of love and everybody pitched in and you were not doing things alone. Now we do all of our things alone because you have to be all of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the stressors of that. Then there's now also the intergenerational piece where I think we're coming to an age, this is maybe a bit woo-woo, but we're coming to an age where the poop is about to hit the fan. And so we are clearing stuff for those who came before. And it's stuff that, you know, on a science level, it's inherited through the microbiome. Mm -hmm. It's inherited through the genetics. It's inherited through the epigenetics. Mm -hmm. Um, There's evidence now of children who are raised in high-stress homes that their hypothalamus is turned on all the time. Well, when your hypothalamus, it's one of your endocrine glands, when your hypothalamus is turned on all the time, you're in fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. So fight or flight mode is when you're stressed. Fight or flight mode is when you're about to be attacked by someone. Fight or flight mode is when you just dropped your phone in the toilet. That gets turned on. If you have a chronic disease, the fight or flight mode is on mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so these children who are growing up in stressful environments because we have them booked to the teeth with activities from one thing to the next, they... And that is a symbol of being so well brought up and having access to all these things. That's not helping. There's, there's so many components con- contributing to this chronic low-grade inflammation. But how do you know you have it? Anybody who has fertility issues has low-grade inflammation. Um, anybody who has any kind of cancer or the big guys like cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, MS, these kinds of things. Everything we're seeing in our society these uh, days, yeah. Uh, the chronic stuff. Right. Like if it's a disease that has taken 15, 20 years to show mm-hmm. up, then that is chronic low-grade inflammation at the root of it. Any type of skin stuff, so rosacea, even uh, acne, uh, persistent acne. Uh, there's eczema, a lot of, psoriasis. Eczema, yeah. psoriasis, yeah. Mm-hmm. All, oh yeah, more yeah. skin stuff. Um, if you have dandruff even, mm-hmm. if you have IBS, IBD, Crohn's colitis, like the stuff that goes on in the gut, uh, if you have plantar fasciitis, even tendonitis, bursitis, frozen shoulder, mm-hmm. this is all chronic low-grade inflammation. Osteoarthritis, the um, autoimmune stuff like rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, um, MS, ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, all these things, Parkinson's, all of these diseases have chronic inflammation at the base. Mm-hmm. Aches and pains, chronic pain, hives even, uh, things like, I'm thinking of histamine-mediated stuff, so like acid reflux, um, migraines, uh, interstitial cystitis, which is a specific disease that happens in the um, in the bladder, mm-hmm. and it's histamine mediated. Like there's and, so many things. And that's, sorry, go ahead, Lai. Well, so all of these things stem from this low grade inflammation that we're seeing in all of these chronic things that are happening over these 15, 20 years, and then we start seeing this. So where where do people even begin in reducing this inflammation, and where where in our bodies take the biggest hit of this, that they're trying to flush out this inflammation, or they're trying to, um, where's a good starting point as far as we, anti-inflammatory is such a big word now, but it's not just any one thing that helps with this inflammation. So (laughs) you're laughing. I'm laughing because I have 17 hour answer to that. (laughs) Well, and it's crazy. Like a turmeric pill or vitamin isn't, turmeric isn't just going to help that inflammation. Like there's so many things. And even, yeah, even where we come from, we get so many people, um, 
coming to us saying, okay, what product do you have that's going to help me with this? And I'm like, well, no, 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 that's not how it works because it's not just any one thing. And, and of course, everyone has those genetics and epigenetics and triggers and all of these things that um, add up. So where I, I think today we really wanted to talk about detoxing and our elimination pathways and the liver because it has so much to do with inflammation. So maybe you could speak to the liver a little bit. You bet. Yeah. Where does inflammation uh, or what's impacted? There's a lot of things that are impacted with inflammation. Uh, probably ground zero for inflammation is the gut. Mm. And the gut is because that's where we most closely interact with the outside world. Uh, when you're in stress mode, your digestion shuts down. Mm -hmm. So when you can't digest, that's actually the biggest contributor to the garbage your liver has to take out, let's say. So when the liver has too much work to do, because she does 400 plus jobs in the body, mm -hmm. when she's got, you know, the, an extra load to clear out from the day because you're now not digesting well because you're stressed because you feel like you're going to lose your job because the economy is terrible, mm -hmm. then now she's got extra work to do. She's going to put some things on the side. Like say, like the liver works with the thyroid to make some conversions of plant forms of vitamins into the animal form. So this is one very obvious thing. So beta carotene is the plant version of vitamin A. Retinol is the animal version. So the plant version is water-soluble. The animal version is fat-soluble. The liver, when she's well enough, will take the plant version, change it into the fat version or the animal version. Uh, when she's too stressed, has too much to do, and the workload is too high, that gets put on the back burner. So now you're not able to make that conversion, and that starts to impact a whole bunch of other things. So that specific, this is just one scenario. It's, mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily true in every person who presents this way. It depends what else is happening, how you think of yourself, like the body-mind piece, right? That's so complicated. The epigenetics piece, the uh, things of the people who came before you that mm -hmm. you've inherited that we don't even know how to measure yet. So many pieces of the puzzle. Absolutely. So when you can't make this conversion of beta-carotene into retinol, now you, well, you need retinol for the health of your heart, the health of your brain, and the makeup of your skin, actually. Mm -hmm. So your skin integrity. So if you can't keep the skin integrity piece because you're not able to make that conversion, now you start to impact things at the gut level, and that can be one of the contributing factors to what they call leaky gut. Mm -hmm. Well, the more leaky gut you have, the more your liver now has to do a cleanup of leaky gut. Because mm -hmm. your liver is detoxifying all day long. It is one of her main jobs. She is queen of the cleanup crew. I often say, if your body were a city, the liver would be head of public works department. <laughs> like, because that's what she does. Because yeah. she bags the garbage, and then she takes the garbage to the curb. Like, she does a couple of different things in that sense, right? So, in the, in the bagging the garbage piece, that's the first phase. Because there's phase one and phase two of elimination. Um, so phase one is when she takes toxins, spent metabolic waste, which means just the regular everyday stuff that happens in the body mm -hmm. for the biochemical reactions to happen. There's waste to get rid of in those equations. If you remember grade eight science, there was always like, you know, you know, the chemical, um, like in organic chemistry that you've got your equations and these two things combine and you get this molecule at the end, but there's water produced right. in digestion. Mm -hmm. That's a byproduct of digestion. Well, in the metabolic processes in the body, the biochemistry that goes on, there are these byproducts that are made mm -hmm. that now your body has to move out. Some of them are water, actually. You make water when you're digesting, which I think is so cool. Mm -hmm. We are water mm -hmm. factories. That's amazing. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> 
But what she needs to move out is, you know, like estrogen, for example. So estrogen is a hormone that triggers different things to happen in the body. And estrogen, after it's been used, it's like a telephone call. After it's been used, you have to get rid of the telephone call. So that then goes to the liver. It gets conjugated, which just means chemically manipulated. Mm -hmm. So it's just changed and broken down into parts. And then the liver very smartly takes this and turns it into bile Mm -hmm. and other byproducts and then sends it to the gallbladder. The gallbladder then drips it down into the digestive tract. And that now becomes 60% of your poop. Hopefully you're able to eliminate at least once right. a day. Mm-hmm. I aim to get you going at least twice a day. And that's actually, we always start with, you need to take the garbage to the curb first. Mm-hmm. We cannot add to your garbage load first. We can't do the anti-inflammatory work until we have you taking the garbage out to the curb. Oh, that's so important. If you are pooping once a week, honey pie, mm-hmm. we need to talk because that's not okay well and for so many people that is almost like their wake-up call trigger being like okay my digestive system like for sure there's more serious diseases but i think for even for us the number one thing is like i have like xyz bowel issue get things moving. they can't get it moving they're moving it too much like there is that or we look to um just like a quick fix mm-hmm. it's like this is what's going on in my body, but what can I take to make it happen now? I can just drink Santa tea and that's fine, oh, right? Yeah, 100%. Oh, okay. So, so that's part of why I love doing through holistic nutrition. So we cut, you know, in 2019, we're looking for the quick fix. We're looking for the pill. We're looking mm-hmm. for the repair. I would say we actually need to go deeper. You could do repair pieces for sure. And they can be of service, but you need to figure out why are you not pooping? Mm-hmm. Senna, or certain teas or certain herbs or um, chia seed can help bulk up, which can help mm-hmm. improve how you poop. For some people, it makes it worse. For some people, it makes it better. I hope everybody's okay <laughs> listening and talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I did not know what this This is taking a turn. It's <laughs> in my favorite subject. <laughs> You're not That's friends okay. unless Anyone you can talk about yeah, your bowel movements. Totally. Okay, so... Well, first, so if you can't... If you're taking these things to help the process you're doing it and just putting a band-aid on the mm-hmm. on the on the wound you're not figuring out why you're not properly right. eliminating if you're not properly eliminating you need to really address that piece it can be a thyroid issue thyroid has a piece to play in peristalsis it's called which is the movement of things through the bowels so if your thyroid is underperforming that's one of the things that may not be working mm-hmm. If you don't have the right balance of bacteria at the gut, and everybody has four to six pounds of bacteria at the gut level, if you don't have that right balance, that is impacting how slowly or how quickly Mm -hmm. things move through. If you have any inflammation in the gut, that is also impacting moving stuff through quickly or slowly. There's, There's a lot of different things at play. So where I usually start is before we do anything else, let's make sure your detox pathways are open. That means improving your trips to the loo. Mm-hmm. improving number one and number two if you want to keep it clean <laughs> it also means are you sweating some right. people don't i didn't sweat for 25 years i didn't know that was not a good thing yeah i was like oh i save on deodorant and i don't stink <laughs> and i can only shower every four days how cool oh wait a minute that is not necessarily an awesome thing so looking this is where i love what i'm able to do and bringing different modalities together a little bit homeopathics can help Mm -hmm. with that for some people for some they're really against homeopathics then we do some of the other pieces so it's so it's so individualistic Mm -hmm. and that's the trouble 
there's no one size fits all. Okay. We kind of just briefly touched on like blood work. So sometimes you can have all these ailments, but you go to get basic blood work, all the results come back, you're totally okay. Is it still a piece, like you just have to really listen to and I guess trust your gut. Yeah. There's something out of, out of whack going on. Yeah. Yeah. And the first sign is if you're not pooping, if you're only pooping once a day or less, or you haven't forced it, Mm. Okay, that's or let's start. That's a good place to start. Let's just start there. And some people are prob- probably eliminating quite well, but mm-hmm. still have inflammatory issues. If you're eliminating well, it doesn't mean you don't have inflammatory issues. And if you're not eliminating well, it doesn't necessarily mean you for sure have elimination issues or mm-hmm. inflammation issues. But it bears looking into it and understanding. So if we're looking at like bowel movements, you always come back to whole foods. So what just for people that are listening that haven't touched on whole foods and, and they, what foods are we putting outside that category hmm. in your opinion? You're going to get a different description from different people too. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> uh, and it, it differs for each person. So to make a general consensus, yeah. I would say real food means cooking from scratch. So when I first started in nutrition, I thought opening a jar of curry sauce that was from Patak's and cooking my chicken thighs and adding onions and kale in there and having it on white rice, like that's whole foods, right? Uh, if that is what you're doing now, because until now you went to the fast food place that has butter chicken, right. then you're one step ahead. Good work. Yeah. But I encourage you now to look at the labels. So if you start to look at the labels of food, if you're buying packaged foods, packaged sauces, packaged um, flavors, any kinds of those things where it augments your meal to be delicious, look at the list of ingredients. What are your fats? Mm -hmm. If you are using uh, vegetable-based fat, the only vegetable-based fats that I am okay with is coconut, avocado, olive, flax. On occasion, sesame. On occasion, walnut. On occasion, some of the other nut oils. But those fats, all of the other plant-based fats, are actually very high in something called omega-6. And omega-6 is a fatty acid. It's an essential one. We need to get it from our diet. It's Mm -hmm. called essential because we can't make it. Um, you actually don't need to look for it. It is in all of the foods. It is excessively high in plant-based fats. Uh, In our bodies, for the anti-inflammatory work to happen, you need a balance. This is a very good point. You need a balance of omega-3 and omega-6. Traditionally, in our diets, everyone across the planet, our diets were one omega-3 for every two omega-6s. That was the balance. So we've evolved, traditionally, our genetics have evolved with the same diet until about 100 years ago. So everybody ate, in essence, close to, thereabouts, one omega-3 for every two Mm omega-6s. The way that we eat in 2019, if you're relying on packaged foods, if you're eating predominantly plant-based foods, if you're relying on plant-based oils, actually, except for avocado, olive, and flax, and coconut, um... If you're relying on canola oil or uh, corn oil or vegetable mm-hmm. oil or safflower, sunflower, whatever, those oils all have very high omega-6. So now what happens, the way that our food pyramid is, the way that we produce our foods, um, you have the way that we eat, we have 20 to 30 omega-6s for every one omega-3. So when you don't have the right balance between omega-3 and omega-6, that anti-inflammatory work doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So you have a hard time moving inflammation up, number one. Number two, when you have an extra amount of omega-6s, you are now fanning the flames of inflammation. 
So when I'm talking eating real foods, I meet you typically where you're at first and we start to make baby steps. So first, if you're relying on packaged foods, I encourage you to look at the package. Read your list of ingredients. Pick something that has a better fat. Pick something that has less additives. The preservatives, the emulsifiers, the polysorbate 80, carrageenan, guar gum, acacia gum, they are all emulsifiers, which just helps keep things mixed because we're probably too lazy to shake it. <laughs> oh, God. Um, those, you can see the look on oh, her face. No. <laughs> those emulsifiers make a mess of your gut. Mm. They contribute to leaky gut. So when you have leaky gut, now you have more stuff coming in. Now your liver's workload is mm. higher. So those emulsifiers are not awesome. So when I mean cooking from scratch, I actually mean, if you want to make butter chicken, hit me up. I'll give you my butter chicken <laughs> recipe. It's not even mine. It is from Urvashi Pitra, who's from, she did something for the New Yorker. It's an amazing recipe. Make that. It has all of 10 ingredients. It's like cream and tomatoes and a few spices and chicken right. and butter and and how Bye. easy is it to hop onto Google these days? Like everything, we do everything on our phones, everything on our computers. Totally. So we can't hit up a... But what's so interesting is that you, you in that recipe stated cream and butter, which potentially, like for so many people, that's, they're, avoiding. they're avoiding. And and so that comes back to like the quality of the ingredients that you're using too mm-hmm. and the meats. But yeah, you're right. It is so interesting. And I think for us, like sometimes when we're by no means our lex, we're not doctors, but that first conversation based on our experience with our mom, with our own diets, bowel movements were always like an issue for myself, but it was, it was really like the processed foods, the, Mm -hmm. the gluten, the dairy, like how is it manufactured? Um, alcohol, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. And we hear so many people now just coming and say, I tried this diet and I tried this diet and nothing was working for me. And I feel like I've tried absolutely everything, but it is such an individual journey Journey. and there's a lot of money to be made by selling diets right by selling and we are people who flock to get the quick answer yes because we've been conditioned to yes there's no quick answer ever well and it's interesting with like even the diet side because there's diets to lose weight and Mm -hmm. then diets to reduce inflammation and I think that's the diet that you're you should be striving for because everything else starts operating more efficiently and if it starts someone off on their journey I think that's great Mm -hmm. um maybe that's something we can touch on now is just those kind of bad things that when people are when we hear the word detox we kind of think like you hop on Instagram and you see someone who started this like Monday to Friday juice detox or oh I've been drinking over the holiday season so I'm doing an alcohol (laughs) you know poke your eyes out (laughs) (laughs) or like an alcohol or like oh I ate so many cookies over the holidays and how do I detox from this but really it's not a Monday to Friday thing and then off we go on our merry way for the rest of our life until we do the next detox. So what are some of these things that either we talked about kind of some of the things that someone might look at removing from their diet, but um, how do we go about helping support these eliminations pathways in our body on a daily basis so that it's not just this lump of time that we do it and the rest of the time we're not this is one of my favorite topics so there's a woman out there called susan weed and she's a herbalist and she has a full article that she wrote that you can google where she talked about the liver and detox so the whole talk around detox is so warlike 
and negative. Oh, well, I've been so bad eating mm-hmm. cookies at Christmas. I need to detoxify and take those cookies out. It's right. like you are tainted. It's like you did yes. something wrong. It's like you were bad. Yeah, the guilt is real. Yeah. Oh, totally. And that's so harmful. That in and of itself right. contributes to inflammation. Never mind. Were the cookies delicious? Did somebody make them for you? I think you kind of won. And also, (laughs) bless it and get on with it. And it's Christmas. And why else would you not celebrate Christmas how traditionally it's been done? That's when you took out the sugar. Mm -hmm. That's when you looked to what was able to be kept in the pantry. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to have 17 cookies every day that the girl guides across the street bring to you? (laughs) No. Oh, Oh, shoot. (laughs) Although the mint ones are really awesome and s'mores, but anyway. But the detoxification piece, the way that the language around it, the culture around it is part of the shaming. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to actually reject it. I'm not going to take it on. I, it doesn't fit for me and I don't want the right. shaming. I don't want negativity. Thanks. We'll let it go. There I was negative in saying that, but I choose not to yeah. take on negativity. Like even the words you choose is hard, but um, detoxification in that sense your liver is actually detoxifying all day long. Mm-hmm. When you are going on one of those detox things, there is the danger you can rev up the function. So you're, if you've been eating a poor quality diet or if you've been um, going out for a lot of foods because the ingredients they use at these places are typically mm-hmm. not high quality, not excellent quality, they may be contributing to inflammation. Don't think that doing a two-week cleanse is going to clear the issue for you to be able to now go back to what you were doing before. Mm-hmm. If you really actually, this this back and forth of war times with the liver and then into fun times and revelation, but then having to punish because yeah. we reveled too much. Mm-hmm. That is the old paradigm. And that is, I think, part of the shift that's happening in the world right now. It's time to let that go. Mm-hmm. What can you do? I encourage you instead, why don't you deeply nourish the liver? The liver will detox for you and she will work for you until the very last second of your life. She will choose life every time. Every time your body is doing what it can to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. Never is it working against you. Ever. It is always working for you Mm -hmm. because its best interest at heart is to keep you alive. So why don't you instead nourish the liver? Nourish her so she can do the work that she wants. Mm -hmm. When you go on, you know, dandelion root tea, which is awesome and I love, but dandelion encourages the liver to work a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So if your liver's been working an 80-hour work week, you've just asked her to work a 120-hour work Mm -hmm. week instead of 80. Is celery juice essentially the same? I don't know the science behind it because, again, it's a fad and part of me... I. I'm resisting it because I know there's a lot of questions around it. Yep. Is it something that traditionally people would have done? Yep. No. Is it okay? You can feel your body yeah. through it. Go See. find out. Yeah. Yes. Good luck. Okay. Yeah. And also, it's high nitrites. So if we're not supposed to be eating bacon because of the nitrates, oh my gosh, you know how much celery has so much more nitrates? Mm. So is that bad? Oh, Are we talking about that? Yeah. Wait a minute. Or also, then, are nitrates bad then? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of controversy mm. out there about nitrates. So... It's all so very interesting to me. What are some of your favorite nourishing things for the liver? Beets are top of the list, Beets. for sure. Eating the rainbow of colors mm-hmm. is amazing for the liver because that gives you what's called antioxidants. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk of antioxidants. Mm-hmm. The more color, the more variety, the more variety of antioxidants you'll get. Those antioxidants are the tools to do cleanup. They're what your liver needs to do the bagging of the garbage. So eating the rainbow of colors in vegetables, but especially beets are top of the list. Eggs, especially with a runny yolk. Mm. So runny yolk has all of your B vitamins. 
and B vitamins you need to do metabolism and clearing of things in the liver. It also has something in it called choline. And I was talking about choline on my blog this week or on my live videos. Uh, choline, you need to clear fat out of the liver. So you need choline in order to better digest fats in the body. It's found in yolks, but it is heat sensitive. Mm. So if you're cooking your yolks hard, your choline is gone. It's not going to be doing the job. Mm. So eating eggs and keeping the yolk running is one of the best foods for your liver. Eating your saturated fats, and I know this goes against so much that we've been told, but saturated fats are what we call hepatoprotective. They protect the liver. So your coconut oil, butter, lard, tallow, duck fat, all of these fats that are solid at room temperature are saturated fats. They actually help protect the liver. Mm. So changing your fats from some of those more liquid fats, and I wouldn't count, this excludes olive oil, avocado, and flax oil out of this equation. Um, still use those and use those liberally because they actually help the liver do the cleanup and move the inflammation out. But when you're cooking, add, use your coconut oil, your butter, your lard, uh, ghee. Ghee is my favorite fat, actually. Um, tallow. Yeah, all of these animal mm -hmm. fats. I love that you're touching on those because there's so much like controversy or whatever you want to say that pops up in the news. Stigma. It's like stay away from eggs yeah. or stay away from coconut oil. And yeah, obviously they're, they're crucial. Well, here's, here's how I, this is how I decide for myself. You can go to the science. We were actually, before we recorded, we were talking about science and Oh, there's a study that now says it's okay to do this. Must be good. <laughs> Why do... Well, yes, of course we need science to be keeping an eye on that uh, and to help us guide the way for sure. But also, for me, when I'm stuck in a position of, ah, is this good or is this not? I think back three generations ago. Would my grandmother have eaten this? Okay. Would my grandmother have juiced her celery? No. Did she have a juicer? No. Did anybody juice? No. Oh, okay, I won't. I personally won't. Does it mean I would tell people not to? Not necessarily. There can be some good benefits to it. There's good science behind it. But nobody traditionally would have eaten that. Nobody would have sat there trying to pull all of the fats out of the canola seed, mm -hmm. or the rape seed is actually the original name for it. Right. Nobody would have sat there and tried to make oil out of it and use that for cooking. That is a mass production in this big agribusiness that we're doing these days. Traditionally, my people, my genetics evolved with a certain way of eating foods. I'm Irish, French, Canadian. So French, France, first boat over kind of thing. So my lineage ate a lot of pork. They ate a lot of lard. They ate a lot of butter because everybody had cows. And you ate foods from the garden. So we chased the sun. Mm -hmm. We chased the sun where it was stored. So in the summer, we ate the plants and we ate loads of plants and we did growing up I it was still true even in my generation then we ate the meats and the fats from the animals themselves there were no grocery stores a hundred years ago mm -hmm. how would you have eaten right so when I'm stuck in a spot of trying to figure out what's going to be okay and what's not going to be okay what did for 80% of the time what did my three generations ago choose how mm -hmm. would they have eaten and that's how I choose to eat mm -hmm. that's a really simple good simple times yeah yeah, and it does, it, it, it demystifies a whole bunch. So then you think like, oh, but they said coconut oil is not okay. So then I think, oh, well, my genetics didn't evolve with coconut oil. I know somebody else's did. It's probably okay to include sometimes, but it's not going to be the predominant fat that I use in my cooking mm -hmm. because that's not, I'm not from the tropics. Mm -hmm. I'm from Northern Europe. And not that I'm only ever going to be Northern Europe. I'm now living in Western Canada. So I have a friend, she's lovely, she's a holistic nutrition practitioner, she's from Japan, 
And she married a Canadian. They came and moved here. And when she came, she ate the diet she had from Japan. And she felt not as well. And mm. she started to realize, maybe I need to eat the foods that the people who are living on this land have eaten traditionally. And it wasn't until she started adding in meat stock and bone broth and eating some of the fats from the animals that are raised on this land in Alberta, then she started to feel better. What if there's something in the soil, in the mechanism of transferring the sun's energy into the soil and the plants to the animal to us? What if there's a process somewhere we haven't yet figured out what it mm -hmm. is? We don't know how to measure it. We don't know what to call it. What if that's happening? I think that's a piece we need to incorporate as well. So while I look to incorporate what my ancestors ate, I also think of what would people living here and now, like in this land, in Southern Alberta, what would the traditional people of Southern, of this area, of Treaty 7, what would they have been eating? And they would have been eating pemmican. They would have eaten tons of Saskatoon berries. Mm -hmm. They would have been eating a lot of roots and shoots of stuff and grasses and things that you can find in the area. And bison, of course, so. That's so incorporate that in so and not that it's a hard and fast rule that i'm doing 50 percent this 40 percent that mm -hmm. and 10 percent going out to meals mm -hmm. uh, you can be obsessive if you want to but i right. that triggers things for me and it doesn't feel good that's just like and it adds a new level of excitement like that doesn't make it like basic like strip it all down eat like generations and generations ago but i think that it's just it's so fun to create in your kitchen and learn mm -hmm. how to do these bone broths like we love that like even make your own ferments at home like how do you i mean i haven't cooked a lot of the things you just mentioned and or made them i've never made my own ghee or or stored lard here in our place but i'm almost feeling cheated too i live in a condo in the middle of calgary and marta loop and i don't have a huge garden space like mm -hmm. i I would love to explore that, and I think people should. There's good ways to do it. You don't have to be doing it yourself either. This is the beauty of 2019, and this is the gift that we have. Like, I think of, I often think of, like, the seven grandmothers before me and how they would have moved through their foods. There was a, I was reminded of this raisin pie, actually, just recently. This is hilarious. So I do something called five-element healing with a practitioner in town, and we were talking about grandmothers, and she says, oh, I'm supposed to tell you something about a raisin pie? And I just burst out laughing. My grandmother, I grew up with my grandmother next door, my mom's mom. She would make pie. She'd make raisin pie for my grandfather. <clears throat> and she would make it without reading ingredients. And she'd just toss no recipe. She's like, oh, I think this is, I don't know. What about this? And oh, let's toss this in. And I remember thinking, this is, I love this process of making pie with my grandmother. And every time I would taste the raisin pie, I'd be like, this is gross. Why would you eat raisin pie? And that was then. Well, she passed away when I was 10. And then I was reminded of this raisin pie in January this year. I thought, oh, yeah. So I called my mom. Sure enough, she has the recipe. So then in talking of this raisin pie, my mom says, oh, I think I'm going to make this raisin pie. And my grandmother's long since passed, right? This is 30 years ago, uh, 35, whatever. <clears throat> so my mom is now making the pie. She's thinking about my grandmother. My sister hears wind of this. She's like, I think I'll make a pie. And then I posted something on social media. So now my cousin Sarah is making a pie Aww. because her dad is my uncle. So my mom's brother. And he's like, oh yeah, my mom used to make this raisin pie all the time. So here we are, like six of us across Canada making this raisin pie. And all I can think of is, I remember this pie not being super delicious. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but there's something still in this. And then I started to think about, oh my gosh, this is the pie that you would make in the dead of winter when you had no supplies left. It relied on flour. It relied on sugar. Uh, there was not even any butter in there. There's raisins and lard because you made the pie. 
she of course would make her own pie shell. And then you made this slurry with water and flour and sugar. And then you would add the raisins to plump them up and then you would bake it as a pie. And I was thinking the significance of this pie, using what you had when there was nothing else left, if you were smart enough to hold your resources mm -hmm. that would not go rancid in the pantry, you made this pie and this pie still brought you joy. Yeah. Who's the jerk pointing to me thinking everything has to be absolutely flavor packed, punching me in the face, delicious, full of antioxidants, full of maximizing all of the nutrients. When my grandmother made this raisin pie and it brought joy to my grandfather and my uncle and it was a simple raisin pie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we need to get our heads on straight. Yeah. It's just a pie. It is not going to save the world, but it's going to be delicious in the moment mm -hmm. based on what you have at the ready. And that's good enough. Mm -hmm. That's all. I yeah. love that because <laughs> you've gone from this journey of like a young girl <laughs> Being like, no, 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 not having this pie to the cross connection of so many different families eating this that's really bringing together yeah. community and, and family. And I, I think that's for sure what us. you're about. Yeah, this connection. I feel like we all would have those stories if we really thought about it and think back to our childhood. And well, those are our comfort foods for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't taste good when we were little, maybe they. They were something terrible for yeah. us, but they brought us joy. But pie, in that sense, didn't wasn't terrible for us. Mm -mm. You had the dried fruit. Yes, yes, yes. It was flour, but it was probably whole wheat because that's what was milled and that's what you had. It was probably not from genetically modified beets was the sugar. It was probably a, a plainer sugar or maple syrup because I come from poor folk. Maple syrup and lobster was the food of the poor because you had to harvest it yourself. Mm -hmm. So do you know how mineral rich maple syrup is? Like right. she has amendments in the notes there on how to replace the sugar with maple syrup because that's what you had at the ready. Well, maple syrup is so good for you, actually. Of course, don't sit and eat two cups of it, everything yeah. in moderation. And the pie had lard in it. Well, lard is one of the highest places where you can store vitamin D3. So in the, in the wintertime, when we're not getting D3 from the sunlight, you eat lard. Mm -hmm. One teaspoon has a thousand IUs. It's much better than taking a supplement. Well, you had it in pie form. Mm -hmm. And it was delicious. And it was the pie that your grandmother made. So I feel every time I make this pie, I'm like, all my grandmothers are behind me. And they're like, you're doing all right. Yeah, you're going to be okay. And That's then I so cool. think of the children coming after. And yeah. may they make raisin pie. <laughs> <laughs> all, Luca, we could literally talk you for hours and I think we'll have to do this again for sure and um, I do have one final question for you got it this is a fun one we'll give you a moment just to think about it if you need but we're very serious and we're wondering if you were deserted on an island what would be the three things that you would bring with you and they can't be your phone or computer I don't even think she would bring those no anyways. I don't think you would <laughs> but just have to clarify um hmm what would they be? Tea. I, um, <laughs> it would have to be tea. I drink tea all day long. I love tea. You love a cuppa and any. How I cuppa? It's true. <laughs> a, can it can it be a tea stash that counts as one? No, probably not. If it could, I'd bring sure. tea. Sure. Do you have a favorite kind? No. Just like asking who's your favorite child. I only have one, so she's oh, my so favorite. But, <laughs> but I would bring tea. Uh. I would probably, I would have to have books. Mm. I would have to have books. And 
I would probably bring butter. (laughs) (laughs) So I always joke that my three favorite foods are cabbage, butter, and tea for many different reasons. And then the more I get into it, I'm like, oh, that really is my three favorite foods. Oh, those are actually really good foods. I was flippantly thinking of that one day. But yeah, I would probably bring, for sure, there would be books, and I would have tea, and I would have butter. Because you could put butter on everything. I'm good. (laughs) That's a unique list, for sure. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, Luca, you are such a resource for so many people, but how can we send people to you? How can we learn more from you? Uh, I am changing how I do things, and I'm moving more online, and I'm starting to build classes. Um, and seeing a little bit less one-on-one in order to actually support a lot more people. Yeah, you need to spread the love. Yeah, yeah, and not repeat myself, which is, and and I don't mind doing it, but also, oh no, this is information that's, it needs to be accessible to everybody. So they can find me at lucasimmons.com, so it's just my name.com. Through there, you'll find all my social media. I do lots of stuff on Instagram. There's a lot of free stuff on the Facebook page as well. I do a weekly Mm -hmm. live right now on Wednesdays. Uh, at 12 30 um and then yeah i'm yeah as i build this stuff online please send help um that's where it'll be yeah oh well we cannot thank you enough Mm -hmm. seriously you're such a joy you're a natural radio host and uh (laughs) and i love how you brought you said that you're you began this with a science background and then you moved into the arts but it's so neat how you combine the two really with food they're a science and an art form oh that's good can i use that it's yours. <laughs> you it's have your to... story. <laughs> it's true. It really is. 